With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Who, What, Where with Hillary Kerr, your direct line to the designers, stylists, beauty experts, editors, and tastemakers who are shaping the ever-evolving world of fashion. I'm your host, Hillary Kerr, and today I'm joined by Nell Diamond. Nell is the founder and CEO of Hill House, a digital-first lifestyle brand offering fashion, home, and accessories that bring beauty and joy to everyday rituals. You also might know her as the creator of the nap dress. This viral sensation has expanded beyond the initial 2019 dress to include various iterations available today, all marked by the signature smocking, ultimate comfort, and polished femininity. Nell is here to talk about creating the cult favorite item, pivoting her business accordingly, and what's next for the beloved brand. It's all coming up on Who, What, Where. Hi, Nell. I am so excited we're doing this. I feel like I know you, though I don't, because like everyone else in fashion, I'm obsessed with your company. I'm just really thrilled that you were able to make time to do this today. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm definitely like longtime listener, first time caller vibes here. So very excited. <laughs> so let's just dive in. I remember when you launched your brand, specifically Hill House Home in 2016, and it started like there was this focus on bedding and home products. But my hunch is that the majority of our listeners as a Who What Wear audience are probably most familiar with a different aspect of your company, which is the nap dress. So I don't know if I've ever seen a phenomenon quite like this, where (laughs) it was like the only thing anyone was talking about. So (laughs) can you explain a little bit about the dress, how it came to be, and how long you'd been thinking about it? Yes, definitely. I would love to. So the name is a misnomer. The first thing people always ask me when they hear (laughs) nap dress, they're like, okay, so it's a nightgown? Like you just renamed a nightgown? But I'm always happy to (laughs) correct the record. The name nap dress is meant to evoke how comfortable it is. And honestly, it's so funny. It's taken on a life of its own because I used to call basically anything I was comfortable in a nap dress. So it has very personal meaning for me. But it's this very Victorian, like fainting couch idea of wanting to take a nap at any time. Like if I need to nap urgently, I could just like suddenly fall asleep. That's what a nap dress <laughs> allows you to do because you're so comfortable. And it's supposed to be kind of the opposite. 
opposite of that feeling of like getting home from a long day at the office, and like having to rip off your outside clothing because you're so uncomfortable, you literally cannot wait to get it off. That's the spirit of a nap dress. And the actual kind of like technical qualities of a nap dress for us, it's really all about the smocking. Mm-hmm. And so obviously we didn't invent smocking, right? Smocking has been around forever. I mean, I have photos of my mom in like the 1950s and like little smock dresses. I think people probably yeah. mostly know it from kids clothing. It's been popular in kids clothing forever. But then like when I was in high school, Juicy Couture made smock dresses. For us, what it is, is the specific type of smocking. So I have three kids. I've gone through a lot of pregnancies in the past couple of years. And even at the height of my twin pregnancy, the smocking that we make, I was able to wear the same size. And really just that combination of practicality and the comfort in that our nap dresses are all machine washable and beauty at the same time. And that's something that I think resonated with a lot of people over the past couple of years. Very much so. And I also think as we think about consuming things and buying things, I personally have become very fond of looking at pieces that are transitional. And by that, I mean they can accommodate my body at a range of different sizes because I have the pleasure of a fluctuating body. And I don't want to have to go out and rebuy things depending on where I am in my body journey at that moment. So I love the fact that it is so accommodating and that it also is something that can go from a very casual look, depending on how you style it, to something that looks more purposeful and dressier. And I also think that's such a wonderful quality that it has that it makes sort of like that price per wear make even more sense because it has such range. Was that the plan always? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember this feeling of like, you know, early in the days of Hell House and like in my career, waking up on a Monday morning and being like, okay, I have to like get my child to preschool. And then I have to go to the office and I have an external meeting with our PR company. And then I have to meet an investor. And then after that, I'm supposed to go to my friend's birthday dinner. And then I would have to do the mental calculus in my head of what time of the month is it? Like, are those pants going to feel gross on me? Like, what am I Mm -hmm. eating for lunch today? Am I going to have to unbutton this dress later? Even just the fluctuations of your body throughout one day were too much for me for some clothing. So it was just all so much mental load at a time in my life when I felt like I was really looking to limit decision making and really focus on things where I could move the needle. So I think for me, the kind of core of the nap dress and having that as the foundation of my closet was foolproof. I want something that I know will work and that I know I will feel good in and that I know will carry me through a bunch of different things. So for us, I think the ability to transition is really all down to kind of like your shoes and your hair and your makeup, you know, you can take a simple cotton dress and make it feel very nightgowny. Or, you know, I just saw a girl on the street wearing a white cotton dress with this gorgeous big gray cashmere sweater over her shoulders and then loafers and socks. And I'm like, oh, well, obviously I have to wear that tomorrow now. <laughs> it looks so cute. So I think just having like foundational pieces of my closet that I can rely on, the workhorses, like the real mm-hmm. trusty things is really what the nap dress is all about. And it's given me so much freedom for my mental load. I've also always been an outfit repeater, even for like things like weddings. I'm like, if I'm going to buy a black tie dress and I think I look cute in it, like you're going to see me at a couple weddings in this puppy. (laughs) So I think the nap dress really fits into that too. It's like you can be an outfit repeater, but still make it different every time. Very much so. Okay. So first of all, did you think it was going to be the sensation that it has been? And what was launch like for this particular item? Yeah, we launched the nap dress in 2019 and the business started in 2016. So the first kind of couple of years of the business were really focused on 
very low and slow growth, being profitable, being responsible, finding out what our kind of unique product market fit was. And that involved a lot of testing of new products. And I remember sitting in our little office on Canal Street, like in 2017, maybe and saying like, you know what, at the end of the day, the thing that I love most about building a business is being able to respond to customer feedback immediately. And I said to a friend, like, if the customers tell me like they hate top sheets, because, you know, betting was the core of our business at the start. Yeah, they hate top sheets. And they only like tiny little boudoir pillows that's it. We're a boudoir pillow company. And I remember saying that. And then I think about what's happened to our business since then. We're now over 90% fashion. I really internalized that, right? Like I really listened to what people wanted and moved with them. So with the Naftress in particular, we launched it, I think it was June 2019. And I was totally not expecting this. And I am like the biggest planner. I like love an Excel spreadsheet. My Google calendar is all filled up. I like need to know what I'm doing in like 10 minute increments. But at the same time, I always joke that we like to like leave a little bit of room for Jesus. Like we want to see what happens, (laughs) like let things live a little bit in the world. And so with the nap dress, we got the prototypes. I was obsessed, beyond obsessed. I knew what this product was going to mean for me in my life. But at the same time, I think I was rational enough to know that it could just be me. And if people don't like it, that's fine, because I'll figure out a way to make a small enough quantity that me and like three other girls in my office were going to wear it. And that doesn't matter if nobody else likes it. And then we launched it. And for the next about two years, every single time we dropped new nap dresses, they sold out every single time. And it was almost like going down a slide. We were like catching our breath and like, oh my gosh, like this is still happening. And how do we figure out this next phase? And so it was definitely a very exciting and humbling next couple years as the kind of news of the dress traveled on its own, did its own little thing. It's truly like the thing where I have so many friends who are such big fans and they post on Instagram when the drop is happening. Like they don't work with you. They just love it. And they just want other people who love the brand to know this is happening. I mean, it's really like an insane next level situation of like people strategizing what they're going to buy. It's very exciting to see like from the outside. We also talked about the versatility. I know I have worn my dresses literally to like any possible situation you can think of. I'm sure you've seen, whether it's on Instagram or in the wild, lots of iterations of how people style your pieces. What are some of your favorite ways that you've seen people wear your clothes? Yeah, it's actually been, I think, one of the most exciting parts of the business is to see the product take on its own life. And I have a very kind of traditionally archetypally feminine sense of style. It's all glitter and bows and flowers and pastels. And it's very important to me that that's not the one way to wear our clothing, right? That's my personal sense of style. That's what makes me feel good. But what I want is for these garments to be like real foundational pieces of fun fashion that make you feel good. And then you take them on your own journey. So I think one of the things that was really exciting for us is we almost accidentally stumbled into the opportunity to really show that early in the pandemic because we couldn't do any photo shoots ourselves. Obviously, we were in lockdown. So our very first influencer campaign, we worked with 20 influencers and we sent them the product and each one of them styled 
directed, photographed, basically wrote copy for the product themselves. And we said, go for it. Show us how you would wear it. And I think it was one of the best things we ever did. And it was not part of some big, bold strategy. It was truly out of necessity. And I remember like coming up with this list of influencers. It was like a bunch of people that I like thought were really doing interesting things. And somebody on our team was like, okay, so should we send them like styling guidelines? And we kind of sat around. We're like, no, all we want to do is see how this person would style it because it would give us really good ideas. And we love how they did this with that other outfit. So we have now carried that through for the past three years as we work with influencers every single time we do a drop, we repost our customers who have styled things different ways. And if you kind of like click in on our hashtags or in our tagged photos, you can just get so many good styling ideas. And I think that's really crucial to the brand. There's no one way to be a Hill House customer. There's no one way to dress in an app dress. It's really about doing it in a way that makes you feel good. And that mental health piece, I think, is really big too. I think when I was younger, I remember because of the way that I personally dress, getting a lot of feedback like, oh, Nell tries so hard. Like she always is so dressed up. And I remember like being like, oh, like maybe I should try a little less. But then I felt awful. <laughs> I was like, but then I'm sacrificing my own mental health. Like we each know how we feel good. Like I know personally, if I'm in sweatpants, I'm not feeling great. I'm really not feeling great. I haven't found a pair yet where I like really feel like myself and I feel like I can be my best self. When I feel great about myself, like watch out worlds. Like I'm going to clean that kitchen sink. I am going to fold those baby clothes. I'm going to do a board meeting all in the same three hours. Like you can't, you can't stop me. So I think that mental health element is really important too. And it's so related to figuring out kind of like your own personal taste level, what it is that makes you feel good when you put it on. And that's a huge part of how we talk about styling. So let's talk about some of these drops because I read that you ended up doing like $3 million of sales in like 12 minutes for one of the drops, which is insane on so many levels. And it makes me so excited to hear you say like everything kept selling out. Everything was selling out. But I also know that's not always a great thing for a brand. You want there to be excitement and energy around it. But if something sold out, then it means you have all these customers who are out there unfulfilled and wanting to be a part of it. Thinking of the popularity combined with all of the supply chain issues and other difficulties of the past couple of years, how do you balance both where you're still being fiscally conservative and thoughtful about how much you're ordering so that it is the right amount, but yet also stoking that demand, but also making sure your customers are getting what they want. Because I feel like that's a Tetris game of intense difficulty. Absolutely. You know, in the early days of nap dress drops, I remember one of the first ones was our tartan nap dresses. We do them every year. They're so fun and like they're flannel. It's like old school, like LLB nightgown vibes. And I remember we had like three people on the team and I think I was out at a dinner and I like woke up late in the morning and we had just dropped the tartan nap dresses and they were gone. And our digital marketing agency called us and they were like, you guys, like there's something wrong with your site. Like you need to fix this. Like your reporting's really bad. And we were like, we're so sorry. Like we're awful. And we're like looking on and we're like, no, no, no. 
and calling our warehouse and they were gone. They were gone. People had bought them all. This had never been our plan. We had thought this was stock to last us through like two months. And it's a combination of feelings, like incredibly excited, right? So I remember just being like, I can't believe people like this as much as I do. But then also, I mean, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. Like we're calling up our warehouse and we're like, okay, guys, how are you going to handle this? Like, are you staffed up enough? Like, do you have enough people at the warehouse to pack these boxes? How's our FedEx account doing? Like, are they going to have a panic attack when they see this number of labels? And that month we had basically nothing to sell on the site for the next 30 days. What did you do? Oh, we just sold nothing. We had nothing to sell. I think like people who don't understand our business or don't know us might think like it was all part of some grand plan to like hype and sell out. Never part of a grand plan. The whole reason we started doing these drops was because there was so much pent up demand when things sold out. We wanted it to be a completely fair playing field. So we would release, we'd say 12 EST. It was always 12 EST, always on a Wednesday couple of times a year, we will do this drop. And every single part of those drop days was basically built to make the experience as fun as it possibly could be. Because the last thing I wanted to do was have this like exclusive product that you couldn't get. And people were like selling on secondary markets and getting upset about. It was such a funny few years of those first drops because I I would be happy that people liked the product. But then also every single comment that was like, oh, I really wanted that color, I would feel horrible. I remember like in a couple of these drops, you know, my mom wasn't getting what she wanted. And I was like, I'm really sorry, mom, because I really didn't want anyone to shop early. It felt really unfair. So since then, you know, we've really tried our best to make sure that if people want something, they can get it. But it is a delicate dance, right? Because my nightmare is building a fashion company that's over-indexed on inventory and that you then have to like put it in a landfill, mark it down, all of these things. So it's a very, very delicate dance between oversupply, undersupply, and finding that like Goldilocks mix of like a perfect buy that will make people happy. And we get better at it. Every single drop, we get better at it. Because I remember I was interviewing Ty Haney and we were talking about this with Outdoor Voices, like inventory is the killer, really. It's like if you have too much of it sitting somewhere, that's going to be the thing that like drags your company down. But if you don't have enough, you don't have something to market. You don't have something to talk to your customers about. You might not be top of mind in the same way. And so there's like that existential panic that goes on as well at the same time. Yeah. But obviously, things are moving in the right direction to that effect, too. I just read that you recently closed a Series B for funding for $20 million, which is incredible. Tell me a little bit about what that process was like. How did it compare to your Series A? Yeah, so we spent the first kind of three or four years without taking on any external funding. So self-funded and really focusing on profitability. And I remember the first round just being a real challenge. It was definitely at an era when profitability was not top of mind for investors. Which is so silly. (laughs) I just remember like, you know, a lot of no's, a lot of like, it's not a fit for us right now. That's like the polite way of saying no. And, you know, luckily, because we were profitable, it was never like, oh my gosh, if we don't raise this money right now, like we're going to have to close the business. So I think that was always why I wanted to focus on profitability because I sometimes call myself like a reluctant entrepreneur. I'm very risk averse. I like to be able to sleep at night and taking risks on people's livelihoods is like just not something I'm comfortable with. So profitability is the way I sleep at night, right? It's like, no matter what happens, money in, money out, there is enough to pay the payroll, pay the rent over our heads and like keep the business moving. 
And then the Series B was very different. You know, we had seen real traction and we had proven data, right? Mm -hmm. And profitability is top of everybody's mind right now. So I think it was definitely a different conversation a couple of years later for reasons that I understand, like track record and reasons that I think should have been there all along, like the profitability piece. Yeah, it's interesting because people definitely talk about the fact that with female-founded businesses, investors wait to see if it has legs, if you will, before they're interested in participating, whereas you can tank a company and then have an idea for a new one and get $350 million in funding if you're a man. And that can be really frustrating. So a $20 million investment means new categories, I'm assuming, more growth. What can you share about your roadmap and how you are thinking about using that money strategically? Yeah, I mean, I think there are kind of two key things for us. One, it's these new verticals that we're moving into. We launched two new verticals last year. So shoes we launched over the summer and then swimwear. Both of those have been really successful. And I think the most exciting thing for me has been the opportunity to see how many new customers are joining the business through those verticals. Shoes was our highest penetration of new customers into the business in a very long time. And that was super exciting for us. So I think new verticals, we're really looking to kind of expand upon the core tenants of what makes the nap dress the nap dress. So this practicality, beauty, comfort piece. And then stores. I think I'm so excited about the opportunity in brick and mortar in the next couple of years. We had a store in Nantucket this summer where I had like a very pivotal experience. I was like sitting on a bench outside the store one day and these two women left and they're probably like my age, early-ish to mid-30s. And one of them looked at the other one and said, oh my gosh, that was so fun. And the other one goes, I know. (laughs) And I literally, (laughs) I'm like staring at them with my mouth open and I literally started crying because I was like, this is everything I want from a retail experience from a fashion company. I want to walk into a store and have it be the most fun try-on experience. You've had like the nicest afternoon with your girlfriends. You're like so excited to wear it out to dinner that night. And you have this piece that lives in your closet for years and years as a memory of that like wonderful, wonderful moment. And I think for too long, I've like sat in dressing rooms and just felt like bad, bad about like how something looks on me and my body and like how the lighting is in the store and like whether I'm going to look cool in something. And that's like the opposite of the experience I want people to have at Hill House. So I called our COO after that happened. And I was like, this is what I want to replicate. Like, this is what we can allow stores to be. And I also think in some ways, you know, we're all ordering online. We're so good at the e-com experience and it doesn't feel celebratory and fun. And if somebody's forking over their hard-earned money in order to buy something from us. Like, I want to give them an experience that makes them feel good. And I think that we have a unique opportunity to do that in stores in a really fun, celebratory kind of social way. So lots of dressing rooms, lots of trying on, lots of pretty spaces to make people feel good. So as you mentioned earlier, almost 90% of your categories are fashion now. Shoes to that point, swimwear, You're getting into outerwear, which is very exciting. What can you tell us about this category and why did you decide to do that? Because it's a very, it can be quite different as a category, just saying. I really tried to lean on intuition with these new categories and really base it off of things that I thought our community would get really excited by that I wanted in my own life. And one big piece for me, and you know, growing up in cold, rainy London and now living in often freezing cold New York was... I love having fun coats. 
straight up. That's the business case. I want a really, really beautiful coat that I can walk down through Washington Square Park and get absolutely poured on in. (laughs) That I can like ski down a mountain in and go to my son's like 8 a.m. baseball game in and feel really cute, feel very presentable. Again, it's that foolproof piece, but feel like myself. And so it took us quite a while to find a manufacturer that we felt really, really confident with. I wanted to make sure they were fully technical. So not just like your typical fashion puffer that like looks warm, but doesn't have the wind chill and isn't actually waterproof, which a sneaky amount of jackets are not actually waterproof, which is insane. Mm-hmm. So we found this amazing factory. They make puffers and outerwear for some of the greats, convince them to work with us. And then we we put some prints on them and they're the kind of jacket that you wear around and you just feel like, okay, I am like prepared to take on the day. We're also such a print forward company that I thought it was a great opportunity to put our prints on something that doesn't traditionally have a print. And that was a really fun process. And then one of the puffers we actually made reversible so that if you're in a print mood, you can go for it. And if you want something a little more demure, you can just go for the solid navy on the other side. So I'm excited to see how they do. But again, when we go into these new categories, I really try to go in with as little attachment as possible and with that same nap dress mentality of like, okay, I know I love it. If other people don't love it, that's okay. (laughs) I will still wear it. Managed (laughs) expectations. Oh, yeah. All I do is manage my own expectations because they're pretty high. (laughs) Has it ever happened that something that you've loved just doesn't resonate in the same way with your customer base? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first three years of the business were basically many, many, many things that didn't resonate, like just kind of over and over again. And I I think it's like the testing where they would resonate, but there was something holding people back from really loving it. I think that you got to get product out there, see how people respond to it, and then adjust your expectations a little bit, adjust the product, all of those things. I think, you know, one of the smartest things that we did early in the business was we opened a store on Bleecker Street and we were spending like $0 on marketing. This was a huge expense for us, even though real estate was very much down and we, we got like a pretty affordable lease. But what I wanted was the opportunity to talk to customers who weren't my friends, right? So who couldn't be biased in the same way and see how they reacted to things and what they were actually looking for. So the very first like iteration of the nap dress, you know, it was like a sample. We hung it on the rack in there and I worked from the store and I just watched people try it on, look at it, react to it. And that was one of the early indicators that, okay, maybe this is something special. Maybe people will like this. But yeah, I mean, I remember like, you know, we had these duvets that we had worked so hard on and they were very intricate and so beautiful, but we put button closures on them instead of a zipper. And it's like, it's just easy. Like you got to make things as easy as possible. So, so many like mini mistakes that we made over the years that I think have kind of shaped who we are today. I love that. Okay. So cozy season is upon us. So what are some of your must-have wardrobe essentials? Sweaters. So very into sweaters. I really like a colorful sweater. I am a big like sweater over the shoulder girly. I think it's just such a fun way. It's almost like a scarf, but it like makes the outfit look really cute and um, it's really fun. So I love adding sweaters that like pick up a different color in my outfit that day. So that's always something that's important to me. I'm very into socks and loafers, which I mentioned earlier. I think it's like such a fun, cute look. Yes. And then I recently think that I might have gotten back into cowboy boots, which I haven't been into since like high school. So very into that look too. I walk to work every day. So 
I will often have like a pair of commuter shoes that I like get obsessed with. And I'm thinking it's going to be loafers this season, but we'll see. (laughs) And then other cozy essentials, obviously puffers, I think are huge and really good tights. I'm like, if you wear dresses throughout the winter, you need really good tights and layering pieces are very important. I too am team tights. So who makes some of your favorites? We make some. Hill House makes tights. (laughs) Um, So I like our tights. And then I really love Wolford. Wolford is my other kind of go-to. I would say I do Hill House for like everyday tights and then Wolford for like specialty. So like I wear our like black and navy. And then Wolford, if I want to do like a pattern tight or something a little less opaque, Hill House's tights are super opaque. So they're like kind of perfect for daytime. But if I wanted to do like a nighttime tight, I would probably do Wolford. Love it. Nell, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I mean, I know how busy you are. So thank you so much for making the time for me. So fun. Thank you so much for having me. A huge thank you to the founder and CEO of Hill House, Nell Diamond. Make sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, I'd also be so grateful if you would rate and review us. If you have any guest suggestions or any other feedback, drop us a line at podcast at whowhatwhere.com or you can find us on social at whowhatwhere. See you next Wednesday on Who What Where with Hillary Kerr. This episode was produced by Hillary Kerr and Olivia Capaletti. Editing is by Natalie Thurman and Treehouse Recording in Los Angeles, California. Our music is by Jonathan Leahy.